Hey, welcome to another episode of The Scrum, WGBH News' political podcast. I'm Adam Riley, and I'm joined by my colleague Peter Kadzis. Peter, hello. How are you doing, Adam? I am not bad. Uh, as you know, Peter and Scrum listeners, the 2018 election is right around the corner, and this is our modest attempt at a pre-election special. Peter and I have asked some other political commentators to give us their thoughts on what made this particular campaign season memorable, for better or worse. So now you're going to hear from them, and then immediately afterward, from Peter and me. We'll start things off with Sue O'Connell of NECN. One of the things that stood out the most to me during the election was the incredible get-out-the-vote effort by the Ayanna Presley campaign. There was a foreshadowing of its power in the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez Democratic primary win in New York City. The morning of that win, when I heard that the Presley campaign had sent get-out-the-vote help, I thought, wow, if they can deliver that upset, then Mike Capuano better watch out. And then on primary day, as I drove down Blue Hill Avenue in Mattapan and then Blue Hills Parkway in Milton, I saw Presley campaign signs on every couple of light poles, and attached to each one was a handwritten sign that said, vote today. And I thought right then and there, if the Presley campaign can get that many handwritten signs done and hung, then Presley has a great chance of winning. And she did. You can hear the enthusiasm in Sue's voice. You, you, you know, she loves to be the first person to get an I voted sticker. <laughs> um, in some ways, I would gently say she doesn't go far enough. The Presley campaign was a campaign of genius. And I think it was much more impressive than the Ocasio-Cortez campaign. Councilwoman Presley, soon to be Congresswoman Presley, faced a real opponent in Mike Capilano. Nevertheless, all of this took place in what's essentially a progressive bubble. And the bottom line is, in Washington, D.C., we've replaced one progressive Democrat with another progressive Democrat. So I'm with Sue, but just a couple of footnotes. As you know, Presley would say, well, one of the things I'm going to do differently than my predecessor is uh, bring my life experiences to bear as I legislate. That's a big part of the reason that she was able to win this race, right? The argument that life experiences determine the way you behave as a politician and are a meaningful part of the decision-making process for the electorate. That's important stuff, right? Oh, it's it's important stuff. I would make the counter-argument that Capuano brought his life experience as a you know, a blue-collar Italian. I, I was less impressed, less persuaded by that rhetoric than I was impressed by her organizational ability. Did you have a epiphany in which you realized that Presley might beat Capuano before she did? Right from the day she announced, I said she could do this. In our newsroom, where everyone's saying, oh, she can't win, she can't win, she yep. can't win, I kept saying, don't be so sure. She can do this. That's as far as I went. All right, next up, let's hear from Stephanie Murray of Politico. You know, I've been really struck by all the pent-up ambition in the Democratic Party in Massachusetts, both on the state government level and on the federal level. I'm thinking about candidates like Ayanna Presley, who unseated Rep. Mike Capuano, and he's been in Congress for 20 years. 
I'm thinking about Nika Aligardo, who beat House Ways and Means Chair Jeff Sanchez. And I think after 2016, I've heard from a lot of Democrats who are running. They said to themselves, you know, if I don't run now, then when? You know, just look at Juana Matias, who ran up in the 3rd District. And she didn't win, but she turned out something like 6,900 votes in Lawrence. I think we're definitely seeing kind of a new wave and a changing of the guard starting. And it'll be really interesting to me to see how um, that impacts leadership and priorities, if it does at all, on Beacon Hill and in the mass delegation in Washington. Stephanie makes a great point there. I think this campaign season has felt to some extent like an extension of the campaign in which Seth Moulton challenged and beat John Tierney, the longtime Democratic incumbent. I remember back then thinking, oh, this is absurd. You know, Democratic incumbents never lose in Massachusetts. Who is this Moulton guy and what does he think he's doing? Turns out he knew exactly what he was doing. He's managed to become a prominent national figure since taking down a member of his own party. And his win, Presley's win, the other candidacies that Stephanie just mentioned, they do seem to be part of a a bigger sea change in the way young, ambitious politicians think about their prospects in Massachusetts. I viewed the Moulton win, uh, which did not surprise me, as, you know, getting rid of old Democratic baggage, uh, as affectionately remembered as that baggage was. I think there is a, a generational change taking place among progressives who are becoming much, much more radical than their forebears. I'd like to go back to something Steph said, or rather didn't say, and she, of course, is accentuating the positive. I, of course, am going to accentuate the negative. Um, A lot of the energy in the House is aimed at one person, House Speaker Bob DeLeo. Uh, So they've had a target to shoot against. I will watch the 2019 legislative session with great interest to see if these new progressives in the House can make a dent. This is a concerted campaign that turned out to be quite successful against the Leo. It was limited, but successful. Batting third, we've got Northeastern University's Dan Kennedy. I think what's been surprising and even disappointing uh, during this political season in Massachusetts has been the utter lack of any competitive races for important positions. We had some excitement during primary season uh, with Ayanna Presley's challenge to Michael Capuano and the, uh, the big race for the open seat in the 7th Congressional District. But this fall, uh, we essentially have Governor Charlie Baker and Senator Elizabeth Warren both holding insurmountable leads. And it just seems to me that it's pretty difficult to hold our elected officials accountable if they are not going to face anything in the way of a serious challenge for re-election. And as a native of Massachusetts, where uh, we all grew up uh, believing that our favorite sports were politics and revenge, uh, it's really been uh, disheartening to see what the political season has come to. Like Dan, I'm overall bummed by the election season. Not the primary, but the final. Not only uh, do we lack compelling candidates to challenge strong incumbents, we have a total 
lack of ideas. Let me give you an example from the Democratic side. Several weeks before the campaign really picked up, I think it was in August at some point, Elizabeth Warren unveiled two remarkably ambitious ideas that she plans to put into legislation. One would reform the way corporate America works and would force corporate America to to be more sensitive to its social responsibilities. I'm painting with a very broad brush here. Sure, you got it. The second would clamp down and all but eliminate the revolving door between Congress and K Street, the headquarters of all the lobbyists and the influence peddling. This is a sort of imaginative legislation that, you know, we haven't seen since the days of the New Deal when Senator uh, Wagner of New York would propose things like this. Nary a mention. I mean, those are huge, huge ideas that didn't get debated. Now, isn't that on, sorry to interrupt, no, isn't, no, isn't the, that on Jeff Deal, Warren's Republican opponent? I mean, it, it seems to me we didn't hear debate about those ideas because that's not where he wanted to take the debate, or maybe because that's not where the moderators in the various debates wanted to take their particular debates. Uh, it, you can't blame, well, who are you blaming? I suppose if I had to blame someone, I would blame the political consultants who everyone listens to you know, who craft little nuggets of nothingness um, that then get spit out during the debates. Um, But on the other hand, let me say, here are some ideas that are coming out of, you know, the conservative side. There's something in Washington called the Bipartisan Problem-Solving Coalition. And there's a number of young conservatives who are very active in this. And some of the things that they've worked on or getting a child tax credit slipped into the horrible tax bill. They're working with, and don't snicker, with Ivanka Trump, but nevertheless working to make a real paid family leave program. We'll see if Mitch McConnell will ever let it see light, but, but there's ideas there. Now, by this point, our listeners' eyes are rolling. <laughs> but on the left and on the right, There is evidence of original thinking in Washington. You wouldn't know that in Massachusetts. Hitting cleanup, we have WGBH News' Callie Crossley. My observation, and it could be my particular focus anyway, is that it's very woman-focused. We have more women than ever running for the state legislature, um, 81 now at this point, but we had so many uh, even during primary season, and that the women who are getting a lot of attention, rightly so, uh, former Boston City Councilor, soon to be former Boston City Councilor Ayanna Presley, not waiting in line, um, being very forthright about where they are on issues that maybe some people would be a little shy about expressing as directly as she has and as directly as an Elizabeth Warren has. Um, Say what you will, Elizabeth Warren will say what she thinks. Um, And so I'm just impressed that in Massachusetts, the women who are out front um, are, you know, standing up for themselves, saying, I don't have to wait, saying there's an urgency about my being in public service now. And in in that way, I think about a Liz Miranda uh, in the 5th District that's representing Roxbury and Dorchester. She beat out three men. She's a local community uh, activist or was and is about to take over that seat, uh, lost her brother to gun violence. This is very important to her. She's got some stuff to say, and she's saying it. Peter, the dynamic Callie's talking about is largely 
about a backlash to President Trump, right? Oh, very much so. Almost exclusively, I would say. What strikes me here, and I agree with what Kelly's saying, is I think there's a quieter revolution going on where suburban Republican women are said to be turning against President Trump and thus the Republican Party in sizable numbers. A change in voting patterns like that is every bit as remarkable as um, articulate women standing up for liberal values. All right, we've got two more people to hear from in the penultimate slot. David Bernstein, our former Boston Phoenix colleague and current WGBH News contributor. September's Democratic primaries in Boston are, for me, the ballot of a thin man elections. The old Bob Dylan tune, something's happening here, but you don't know what it is. Uh, the Ayanna Presley runaway victory over Michael Capuano, Rachel Rollins uh, winning a surprising district attorney's race, Nico Aligardo defeating the House Ways and Means chair, Jeffrey Sanchez, and all of this right after the 2017 city council election with Lydia Edwards winning a traditional Italian-American stronghold and Andrea Campbell emerging as the city council president. It, it looks like it could be the new political dominance of a coalition of black Bostonians, Hispanic Americans, and young progressives that'll dominate the city for years to come. But it could just be that these are the backlash elections from Donald Trump becoming president. Or maybe it's a temporary coalescing of, uh, of interests that'll break up again. I'm not sure exactly what's happening, but it seemed like a very pivotal election for Boston's political history. I think David may be being too modest and a touch too diffident here. I think what we have seen is the emergence of a new coalition in Boston city politics. Um, and David put his finger on it when he said it's, you know, basically people of color and white progressives. Like David, I'm not sure what that means, and we won't know until we see it go head-to-head -head with the more traditionalist Democrats who lives in, live in parts of Dorchester like Ward 16 or the more traditionalists who live in, say, Holy Name Parish in West Roxbury and Roslindale. So that's the thing to keep our eyes on. And we'll learn about how that contest plays out in the next contested mayoral race, right? That'll oh. be the big test? Yes. All right. Finally, Marcella Garcia of the Boston Globe. Two very quick observations. I wish that we in the media would have covered a local state representative race a little more thoroughly. Uh, it's the um, race between State Representative Jim Lyons, who is a Republican and probably the most conservative member of the House, uh, always offering up very anti-immigrant amendments and, and, and so forth. He's being challenged by Tam Niguyen. I think that's her name. I'm, my apologies if I'm not getting her correctly. She's a Vietnamese immigrant, endorsed by Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, etc. Very fascinating to see what would happen there. The second observation I have is about the Republican Party here in Massachusetts. I wish um, they would have put forth better, stronger candidates to challenge incumbents in statewide posts like Secretary of State, State Treasurer, Auditor. I feel like this could have been really interesting races, but the local GOP barely put up a real challenge, and that was very disappointing to me. I'm really glad she mentioned that win Lions race. That's one that I had 
sort of wanted to find a way to cover, whether it was in a radio story or a TV story for Greater Boston. It's always tricky to do that because it's one particular district and you got to make the case for listeners outside that district or viewers outside the district being interested. But it really is an incredible study in contrast, and it's going to be fascinating to see what happens there. One reason Lyons doesn't get covered as much as he does is because he's funny in a very politically incorrect way. And that makes people incredibly uncomfortable. Hmm. To cover Jim Lyons the right way, you have to report on his antics that resonate strongly with uh, right-wing Massachusetts people. You know, he's not only anti-immigrant, as Marcella said, he's very anti-LGBTQ. I'm not saying on a personal level he is, but in a political sense, he, he is. He worked very hard to try to defeat the transgender reaffirmation vote that, that's on the ballot. So um, he's a real force in politics and a real force in the back rooms on Beacon Hill, and he cuts across both parties. Marcella raises a really good point in her close about the sad state of the Republican Party. The assumption is Governor Baker is going to serve out one more term, assuming he's elected. Who's going to take his place as a, as a candidate? Um, certainly, uh, Polito, his lieutenant governor, is someone. Um, maybe Jeff Deal. Um, I, I mentioned on this podcast that Tedeschi, who's running for Congress down on the Cape, would be someone. But you look at the other positions, and it's not that they're bad people or uh, ineffective people. It's just that the grassroots of the Republican Party is so Trumpian that they're almost irrelevant in Massachusetts, and I think that's a shame. On that note, we've got to wrap up this special pre-election episode of The Scrum. Thanks to Sue O'Connell, Stephanie Murray, Dan Kennedy, Callie Crossley, David Bernstein, and Marcella Garcia for their insights. Peter Kadzis, as always, the pleasure was entirely mine. Vote early and often, Adam. If there's anything you heard in this episode that you want to discuss further, Peter and I would love to chat more with you. You can find us on Twitter. He's at Kadzis. I'm at Riley Adam. If you haven't subscribed to The Scrum already, please do. You can find us wherever you get your podcast content. Thanks to Doug Sugarts for his production help and to all of you for listening. I'm Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. WGBH News.